the person they cast as Matthew's mother, in the sense of the vampire that created Matthew, is a wonderful actress who happens to be over 70. But Matthew's mother is described as looking younger than her son. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of Sterling Municipal Library's podcast, All Booked, where we talk to you about books we'd like to recommend. And this is a prime example of a book that I thought that we had recorded a review of because it's so popular. It's, so it's popular. one that so many of our staff have loved that I guess it kind of surprised me when I realized that we had not recorded a review of when it. When we got the email, I was just like, we've definitely done this before. Yeah. <laughs> so what is it? Uh the Cherie, book. who is our guest. Yes, yes, sorry. I did a terrible <laughs> job with that introduction. <laughs> Hi, I'm Cherie. So the book is A Discovery of Witches by Deborah Harkness. Now, this book came out in 2008, so it has been around for a long time. Mm -hmm. But only recently, in the last few years, there's a TV series adaptation of that that Season one came out in 2018, then a pandemic happened. Season two was released in 2021. And season three, which is the final season, just began releasing in January of 2022. It's in the okay. middle of its run right now. Oh, that's exciting. Ooh, exciting, yeah. Yeah. I've, I've seen the first series. Well, on re-listening to slash rereading the book, there's, like I said, it was originally released in 2008. And there are a couple of times where you can tell, mainly around the discussion of communication. Cell phones are a lot less prominent and there's not a smartphone assumption on everybody person and she calls them mobile phones, which that's a Britishism, even yeah. though it's an American professor that is first in her own head saying mobile phone. It mostly holds up, I think. I will say that the further I get in years, the more the years blur. But when I was listening to this book again on a trip recently, I still enjoy the story. I don't find that it screams irrelevancy. And I and I did enjoy it enough that I continued on to revisit books two and three. Plus, I mean, I guess in a society, because there is some magic involved here, right? I, I'm guessing phones wouldn't be as heavy of a necessity, question mark, maybe? If I well, remember correctly, like, magic isn't really like phone magic. Okay. Exclamation point dot Phones are awesome because text messaging being one way to communicate when you don't want the vampires with super hearing to oh, hear your conversations okay. is very important. Okay. So this book and this world that Deborah Harkness created, one of the things I love about it is the way it melds the magical and the mundane. So the creatures, the protagonists that you're following are all magical or magic adjacent, but the world is still very recognizable as the world we live in with perks. That makes total sense because it turns out Deborah Harkness, the author, is a history professor. And she also at one time had a wine blog. I haven't looked to see whether she still Ooh. writes a wine blog, but she did when this book was released. And that lends flavor to her descriptions of the worlds and the wines. I remember reading this a little after it came out and really enjoying the setting because something about it and I don't know if this is the same for British people but at least for Americans when you set something at a historic university and you're all living in those cute little very cold very small professors like like quarters room, yeah professors quarters in college like everything already feels a little anachronistic a little like removed from reality because you're living in this like faux medieval setting. There's a little part of my head that goes to Hogwarts. Yeah. A bit. In that mm -hmm. the press professors have including visiting professors have rooms. So to set this up, A Discovery of Witches is the first book in the All Souls trilogy. And when the book opens, you're at Oxford University where Diana Bishop, who is a professor of history with an alchemy focus based out of Yale, 
is visiting her alma mater, Oxford, doing research in the Bodleian Library. And she had, does have rooms at New College in Oxford. And she is a witch. Diana is a witch who has always shunned her magic because she blames the use of magic for her parents' deaths. Your second protagonist is Matthew Claremont. He is a physician and biochemist with a research lab at Oxford. He's a vampire, and he's been one for a very, very long time. And his interests include things like evolution and extinction. So these are the two protagonists that you follow. A Discovery of Witches is hard to classify. It is a bit of a fantasy. It's grounded in a world that's very much like ours and at the same time very much not. It is also a bit of a romance, but it's a very, very slow burn romance. The the love story that develops between Diana and Matthew is pivotal for the books. It's also not the main point of the books at the same time. Diana and Matthew's relationship is central, and it's central in that it drives change that needs to happen for their world. When Matthew and Diana meet, they meet at Bodleian Library after Diana calls a book from the closed stacks for her research. Closed stacks meaning books that are not on the shelves that people could just go to. They're called up at the reference desk. Here, those are called vertical files. Yes, well. Like like holds, kind of. (laughs) But Diana, when she calls the book for her research, is not aware that that book has been presumed missing for hundreds of years. Now, Matthew doesn't see her call it, but he hears the rumors that she did. And vampires and witches and demons, the third type of quote unquote creature in this world, are not supposed to hang out together and mix. So Diana and Matthew, had the world gone along as it normally did, would never have met and certainly would not have met alone, except for the timing of when Diana found the book and sent it back. So your main characters are Diana, Bishop, a witch, Matthew Claremont, a vampire, and secondarily, Diana's aunts who are witches, Matthew's family and research team who are vampires, and a couple of friends and foes of all various species, quote unquote. So typically in a fantasy setting, there is usually at least a component of good versus evil. What kind of bad or conflict are they facing ultimately? It's good versus evil, but it's also tolerance versus prejudice. Okay. Because this world, which is early 21st century England, France, and New York for the settings of the first book, has witches, vampires, and demons existing alongside of humans where the cardinal rule for these creatures is not to draw human notice. And to guide that, there is a thousand-year-old agreement called the Covenant, which specifically forbids relationships between vampires and witches. And you cross the congregation who enforces the covenant at your peril. So I keep saying species in quotes and creatures in quotes because the parallels to this obviously for our world would be, is this prejudice, racism, sexism, pick your ism, or is it truly vital to the survival of these three different species and humans that they be separate? Or are they in fact going extinct and is change needed to maybe move things along? And are people just being people of all descriptions just being prejudicial jerks. Do you get to meet any of the demons? Are you they all bad or are there some that are quote unquote demons? I don't remember if it's spelled D-A-E or D-E for okay. demons because I listened to it this last time. But that's just a description for we don't know what else to call you. You've got quirks and skills and talents, but it's not magic and witchcraft and you don't drink blood for a living. Other. Exactly. And that's the deal. The demons don't even know how they come to be. Usually, if you're a witch, you're born into a family of witches. If you were a vampire, you were a human until a vampire made you a vampire. But demons could be born to humans. They just pop up and Mm -hmm. demons might not have demon children. So why are there demons? Where do they come from? One of Matthew's closest friends is a demon 
of the extremely smart, extremely organized, extremely functional kind, who's a financial genius. And he turns out to, he plays a role throughout the books. But one of the quirks of demons is that their massive creativity and skill can lend itself to flightiness or insanity. Okay. Fun and- fact about this. When this book came out, I thought a discovery of witches was like a pride of lions. I thought a group <laughs> of witches was called a discovery. Or a murder of crows. <laughs> well, yes, they, like t- they tend to call a group of witches a coven and a group of vampires a pack, in quotes. Yes. And they don't describe groups of demons at all because demons are sort of the second class citizens of the creature world. And I did watch the first and second season series adaptations of this, and I enjoyed them very much. I understand the costumes were not 100% historically accurate, and the makeup was nowhere near historically accurate, especially for the second series, which was based on the second book, A Book of Life, which is set in Elizabethan England and France. This series is in three different times. It's in our early 21st century Book two slash season two takes place in Elizabethan times in England and Europe, and book three comes back to early 20th century U.S., France, England. Minor spoiler, but not really. The series in book form has been out for more than a decade. If I have a quibble with a series, and I, I do have a quibble with the television series, they cast actors who do a great job. They did. But the person they cast as Matthew's mother, in the sense is the vampire that created Matthew, is a wonderful actress who happens to be over 70. But Matthew's mother is described as looking younger than her son. Yeah. <laughs> So that's that's just my brain obsessing over minor details. I do recommend both the streaming adaptation. I've seen it on Stars. I've seen it on, I forget. I think Amazon has it, maybe. Amazon had season one. It's been on different services at different times. I think in the UK, it's on Sky something. And there are things left out. Obviously, these are hefty books. And the, the series, each series is only about eight to 10 episodes. So they do leave out a lot. And also a lot of the books are are first person inside Diana's head Mm -hmm. much of the time and showing that on screen, there's going to be changes and differences. But I enjoyed them very much. I'm looking forward to series three of the British television show. I have not had the chance to start it yet, but I'm looking forward to it. And you said you listened to the audiobook. What was the narrator like? The narrator is good. It's Jennifer Ikeda. She narrates all three books, which is nice. You're not flipping between different narrators at different books or at different points in the books. She does a great job of voicing the different characters so that they do sound distinct from one another. And I believe we have these books on CD. Again, remember, they started coming out in 2008. They're also available through Audible if anyone listening has a subscription to Audible. I do recommend them. Sometimes with audiobooks versus books, the narrator might have a quirk or two that draws your attention to a writing quirk of the author's. Diana whispers a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Something yes, you don't realize. she whispers. Well, is it because she's hanging out in libraries? She she's whispers when she's libraries. not in libraries. She's always she's, surrounded by... She's, she whispers when she gets insecure, vampires. and apparently she has a, a boatload of insecurities despite being a tenured professor at Yale. Who, like, rows every morning or something. She's got, like, a cool sport hobby, too. Yes. When you Ooh, meet nifty. when you meet Diana, she is has suffered from panic attacks her whole life. And the way that she puts them off is by burning off excess adrenaline, rowing, running... And practicing yoga. If you like a a rowing protagonist, there aren't many of those that that's what I was in, yeah, in literature. I was thinking so is that it's not that a common fun. exercise that people 
engage in. And usually if someone's rowing, it's because they row as a professional like right. sport or as a team. But she rows solo. <laughs> mm-hmm. She uses a single hull skull. One person rowing boat goes out and rows to keep her adrenaline down. And zips along the river. So with I her have, eyes closed. I have a dumb question. Or not really a dumb question. But I do have a question. How long has Matthew been a vampire? A lot longer than Diana thinks at first. Okay. Long yeah. enough to become an expert in many fields. So here's your question. When, you, when you've been around for hundreds of years plus, how many disciplines can you become an expert in? I mean, that's, that would be my eternal life's goal if I knew I was going to live forever. Yeah. So. <laughs> I mean, she meets the man and he's a published high-level, well-respected research papers in a variety of fields already under his current name and identity. Yeah. Must be easy to start again, though, when you're already that smart. You go to your new name and you can just be like, I know a lot, guys. But then you've got to document it these days. So I will say say this. Matthew Claremont was alive in Elizabethan England and before, because in book two, when Diana and Matthew go to Elizabethan England, they can partly because Matthew had been there before. Okay. Is there anything else that you wanted to to share about your reading experience? I love it. Don't let the size of the book intimidate you. It is um, hefty. It it is a hefty looking book. If you're a little concerned about the size of it, try the audio and let the story suck you in that way. The characters are different from the the characters in the typical books I read. Most of the books that I read don't feature professors of history or biochemistry. Vampires and witches may be professors of biochemistry and history less so. Mm -hmm. And so there's a good bit of academia around the story at various points and research interests around the story. But I didn't feel that they blocked the story. They They were very much plot points relevant to it. It did. It read very quickly, what I remember from reading it the first time. And it definitely gives you like a like a cozy vibe. Like if you like a sweater and like an Earl Grey tea, a little occult and like some some rowing in the morning with some fog. <laughs> well, if you were going to have a beverage of choice with these books, I recommend wine if you want to mm-hmm. sympathize with the vampires or tea of your choice if you want to sympathize with Diana. So tell us what kind of wine. Are we going like white and fruity or are we going something more full bodied? Yeah. They're vampires. Uh, not a claret. That's not Matthew's favorite. But, uh, you know, when you've been around for a many hundreds of years, don't you think there might be some wines that don't even have labels that you might have access to from back in the day? Your favorite wine that works for you. Diana's not really a wine connoisseur. She is a tea connoisseur. She does like her teas. Loose leaf, of course. Of course. All right. Thank you so much for bringing what I think is kind of a perennial classic here Mm -hmm. at the library. And stay tuned next week for more fantastic book recommendations. Bye.